Rules Knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 314. 314. We have Jason Lingren, as always, and Dylan Sicoccio. Uh, this is going to be a hell of a show. Try to keep up. I know I'm going to. These things that we're going to get into are among the hardest things in my view to nail down. It's the same old problem with the sky clocks. And I'm talking about the ages, among other things. Are the divisions of the zodiacal constellations correct? Did someone change them? What the hell was Pope Gregory up to throwing days away? What was Julius Squeezer, whoever that might have been or not been, what was he doing when the calendar got jacked around when they made the ridiculous claim that one day Caesar woke up and it was December, yet it was summer outside? Really? Really? So you're telling me a civilization that lived about as close to nature as you could be somehow slipped their summer into winter and nobody noticed? It's ridiculous. All of it's ridiculous. It's unacceptable, but things were done. And if I was going to go back, I would start with Pope Gregory XIII, and I have been going back, and I actually told Dylan, there's a book by Curtis, C-U-R-T-I-S, one of the Christian mystics, ironically, one of the guys that draws their lineage back to Blavatsky, which Jason and I showed is basically myth, but the writings are there. A lot of it's amazing, and I, as I said to Dylan, what if we tried to know something about Muhammad Ali or someone? You know, Is it even possible to get through the myth anymore? No, it's really not. You can't get at the person. And so in many ways, the idea of Blavatsky is that. But it's important to point out the difference between reality and all these legends. You know, what will people say of me? What will people say of Crow 100 years from now, if anyone even remembers me? Uh, will it be anything close to who I actually am? Or will it be some internet myth or legend? You see where I'm going here. As we get in, we're going to jump into things like the ages, the royal stars, the four evangelists. We will touch on, hopefully, the riddle of the Sphinx, and one that always hooks people, St. John's Revelation, which, of course, is the closing book of the Western Bible and almost every tradition we have in the West. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And good morning. So this is some of the most challenging ideas that we get into in in my view and the reason is is because we've been discombobulated and so many people are going to email and say oh i know what age we're in well really prove it go ahead and prove it because until we can get some demonstrative evidence that we can apply then go back to things like the bible and say yep we see this method here this is valid or or other things what do we have? We have ideas that we're trying to force to hold water, which at some point they will. Uh, I accept we're in the age of Aquarius. Uh, we'll see what Dylan has to say. Anyhow, you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Welcome, Dylan. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. That's awesome. I always love when I get to talk to you guys because it's like an interactive version of my favorite podcast and I get to decide the fate of how the show goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, having you on, Dylan, is a bit of a benchmark because if we would have done the things we've done the last times you've been on years ago, a lot of people would have just closed down and walked away. Uh, but you see, we're in this new kind of mental uprising era and people are beginning to realize there's more than the surface narrative is offering here. And that's where this comes in. Now, I'm going to do my due diligence before we jump in here with you. Um, the Kali Yugas, which would be most people would consider it the Hindu idea of very extensive periods of time. Now, the ages, most people think that's a long period of time. The Yugas are massive compared to the couple grand of years that an age encompasses. Um, the Yugas go back to uh, beyond human imagination. The problem with that is that Dylan wrote in his notes, I'm not the guy to cover this. I don't know enough about it. And I have gone at this for decades now. And what I can tell you is it's some of the most carefully guarded information. Um, no one's just handing it out. So we may mention the Yugas, but it's not going to play a big role here. Well, there is interesting, though. that they, they do correspond. The thing about the, Yuga, the Yugas is even though that they last for like 1.73 million years or whatever, and there's nobody that could ever confirm any of that, they do still correspond. Like the golden age is still going to correspond to the lion. The silver age is still going to correspond to the bull. The bronze age is still going to correspond to the eagle. And the iron age of misery, misfortune, and death is going <laughs> to correspond to where we are, the age of man. Right. Well, I'll say one more thing. One of the big things that the Yugas taught me 
is the value of understanding basic number understanding one through nine. Now in the yugas, everything sums to nine when there's a change. This is why when I was reading, I think it was the light of Egypt, if I remember correctly, they're, oh, we went into the age of Aquarius in 1881. Well, that's convincing as hell, man. One and eight and one and eight is nine and nine, nine and nine is nine, right? If you use the old occult methods to understand basic numerology, which is what I do. I use the most basic methods. So it sounds convincing, but sounding convincing and and accepting it all the way are two different things for me. So where we're going to jump in here is the age of Taurus. And from what I'm seeing in your notes, we're going to have some different ideas here, but let's jump in. You want to pick up on the age of Taurus or do you want to add something in before we go there? I would like to just kind of like go through like one, like one of the problems with determining the ages, especially in comparison with the zodiacal system that we use today, is that the zodiacal systems change over the aeons and it's not even that long because of that sidereal slippage or whatever, you know, the procession. And so right. like it, even if like you go back to like books like around the turn of the millennium, there's going to be the eight house system preceding the 12 house system. And that's based on Pythagoras' system of the four seasons being equivalent to the four ages of man. And he was around, he, I guess he lived around like 570 BC, something like that. But like there were definitely 12 zodiacal signs by as late as 334, like we were talking about AD, because for, uh, Firmicus Maternus wrote about them in his first book. And he mentioned a solar eclipse that occurred on July 17th, 334. So that, that was the last book before Rome converted to Christianity uh, in terms of astrology. And so like in trying to determine these ages, there's like a couple of problems that arise. And the f- first is that the procession of the equinoxes is still a very new system that gave way when they finally had enough records to observe that the eighth sphere was incorrect. And I think we covered this in like my first episode that I was here, the Arab world outline it because people may not have caught everything. Let's, let's talk. Let's just quickly tell people what the procession of the, you, you want me to do it or you want to do it? Whatever you want. It's, it's very simple. Every 71 years, they notice that the actual constellations retrograde one degree. So basically what he's saying is 72 years, you slip one degree, but here, here's the rub just so people understand what space agencies do to us. They want you to accept the reason for procession is that the world is spinning like a top. It's not even spinning right. You know how a top at the end of its spin starts to wobble? That's what NASA wants you to accept the earth is doing. And that's why we slip. Um, this place is perfection. Nature is perfection as close as we can come. I do not accept for one second that we got knocked off our access or whatever other nonsense they want to come up with. From my point of view, and this is wholly from my life, my research, it's just the way the sky clock works. But Dylan's pointing out a big deal here because this begins to be the reason for the difference between uh, astrology types like maybe tropical and sidereal like Athen Comente brings us. See, one of them, like sidereal, is looking up saying, right now in the real world, I'm looking up and I see this particular sign. What other methods are doing is calculating using the procession. So did I drop anything there, Dylan? No, I, I think that's that's a great way to explain it. And all I was going to say is basically like prior to the, like the Middle Ages, when you have all that Renaissance stuff, all the magic, all the astronomy, that's all coming from the Arab world and influencing them. And so back then, if you look up like the, the um, I guess the way their, their cosmology, if you will, there's something called the eighth sphere. So that, so it was like almost like every planet kind of governed its own sphere around the earth. And the eighth sphere is what they believed caused that retrograde um, effect. But they believed that like, it was like, it would go one way for like 820 years and then it would go the other way for the same time. So it was like a little over six, 1600 years total. But then as the, the European like middle ages astronomers started um, taking you know notes and expanding upon that, especially with like the invention of like the telescopes and all that, they realized that that wasn't what was happening because after eight, you know, 820 years or whatever that cycle is, it's still the it's still going in this in one direction. So that's where it's like slipping. Well, it, yeah. If it never if it never stops and reverses, then kind of like because the idea was almost like how the sun will go hang out at the Tropic of Capricorn at the solstice for three days and then make its way back. Right. That's what they kind of envisioned. But no, it just keeps going as far as they can tell. 
So that's where the new one comes up. And that's like uh, every, they, they're saying, well, if it goes every once every 71, 72 years, whatever it is, then entire age, if they divide it up equally, it would be 2160, 2160 years for each sign. And then the whole cycle would eventually start back where it is after like 26,000 years. But nobody's going to be around to like confirm that, you know? It's, uh, it's all relying on records. So before we get into Taurus, let me drop down just so people can try to keep up with this. If I'm talking to you daily about the zodiacal influences of our world, I will go around the zodiac in the following direction. If I started with Pisces, the next one would be Aries. In the human body, Pisces is the feet, Aries is the head. So you've done the click over. That would be like the full round in the human body idea. So you would go Pisces, then Aries, then Taurus, then Gemini, then Cancer. So everyone sees. What we're going to do is talk about the ages. Now, here's another thing that makes this so complex. It goes backwards. So what we're going to do is go all the way back to the age of Taurus, which will be followed by the age of Aries. See how we're going backwards? Um, then we're going to go into the age of Pisces. And then, of course, everybody knows the big question is, are we out of Pisces and into Aquarius? Um, for my part, I accept Korean Aquarius, whether it's been artificially pushed or it, put it this way. I don't think that's likely because I don't think anyone can change what's written in the stars. In the same way, I explained that like a year or two ago, someone finally told me at the moment of my birth, Corvus, the crow, was the ascendant. I had no idea. There is no escaping the influence of the sky clock. So there it is. Let's jump in with Taurus. It's all you, Dylan. All right. Well, so basically what I did, this is all very status quo stuff, right? So like when I look up like the age of Taurus online, they're going to say it started around 7,500 years ago, circa like 5,500 BC to 330, uh, 330, uh, 3340, 40 BC, somewhere around that. And so what I was doing when I was looking up all these ages is I was like, well, let me, let me just like have some fun and plot out every goddess that I named in my book and, and see where they like would fall in this era to see if we can notice uh, a pattern. And sure enough, when you have like Api or Apis, that's 6,000 B that's the bull God. Uh, for people who don't know, uh, you look up H-A-P-I or A-P-I-S. That's where, um, again, the Latin word for a piece is a B, and it's all symbolic to kingship, all that stuff. That's the bull god. And then that, so she started around 6,000 B.C. and 30, uh, 150 B.C. And Hathor, uh, which literally means the domain or temple of Otis, Hathor is the bull, another bull god. Again, that's 3150 BC to about 30 BC. And so she, she's associated with Isis and Sephmet, and, uh, which then became uh, associated with Venus as the morning and evening star. And then you also have, like in Mesopotamia, you'd have Inanna, which is the, the lioness goddess. And that's always symbolic when you see any type of goddess symbolism whether she's being pulled by a chariot or whether she is like has a lion body and a goddess head, that's always symbolic to the sun moving from Leo through, through Virgo. Uh, and so she's from about 4,000 BC to about 3,100 BC. You have Ishtar, the fourth, uh, late fourth millennium BC. And like, so this is the time where if you were to look at like, Let's just pretend that Bhagavad Gita was a literal text. This would be the age that it allegedly occurred and Krishna died. And so Krishna, obviously symbolically, was the cow herder, which, you know, you can say what you want. But if this is all happening that time, there does seem to be some play on sacred cows or oxes, the beasts of burden. Well, we, we should point out a couple things so people can tune in. When you, Even to this day, there are people tell you the bullfights that go on in the world is a leftover from this period of when they were killing the bull because the bull age was coming to an end. Now, he mentioned Hoppia and Apis. Think of Apus, A-P-U-S. That's the bull that you see supposedly mummified and all over Egypt which is another myth that's very difficult to deal with, just to put it in the minds of people. So when you talk about Krishna the cow herder, it's, you know, it's another envisioning of the death of the bull, the end of the age. Yeah. And it's, um, what's interesting about that is, uh, 
Apis gave way to Serapis. And so that's where the bishops of Christ come from. And so if anybody wants to look up Serapis, that'd be S-E-R-A. It's got the Sera, Sir, got the C, it's got all those phonetics in it. And so S-E-R-A-P-I-S and the statues of him, you can't separate it from Jesus. It looks exactly, looks exactly like Jesus. So while we're here, you've gone back and correlated uh, supposed listed times of the age of Taurus and other ages, and you corresponded it with all the fantastic research you did in your book. And by the way, Jason, I forgot to do that. So as soon as I shut my mouth, we got to tell people where you can get your book. Oh, we'll, do, we'll do that. They know me by now. Let's, I, I like to minimize our time. We get, this is the good stuff. Don't worry, about, don't worry about that stuff, Crow. Okay. So where I was about to go is how do you determine an age? What you've done here is you went and got some age spreads, which seemed convincing but then you corresponded it to the fantastic work you did to write your books. And you said, Hey man, there's something here. This is interesting. Look at Krishna, look at these bull gods. So theoretically what that means is we should be able to grab a tool like Stellarium and try to make a few assumptions um, based to take further what you're already saying is interesting. So is an age truly the sun behind a sign? Um, that's a big question because right now, if I open up Stellarium, it's going to show me that the sun is still very much in Pisces. I mean, for like hundreds of years more, um, in Pisces, or is it the idea of the Eastern ascendant? And I want to get your take on this or see if you correlate in this because we know damn well that people get fooled into things like, oh, everybody knows the age at the vernal equinox. You simply look at the sun and whatever zodiacal sign the sun is in is the age you're in. That's what the majority of the world accepts is true. And yet here we are moving into the air age, all the language is changing. You can physically detect the difference in human beings and consciousness over the last 20 years or so. It's been on a fast track. So we also know from things like the Bible that when they're talking about the virgin, guess what's coming over the Eastern horizon? Spica, the star in Virgo's hand that's usually a piece of corn or a sheaf of wheat. And we can show all day long that the Bible is constantly coding the Eastern ascendant. And later we're going to talk about Easter, which is the same idea in a different way. So what's your take, Dylan? Is it the sun behind a sign? Is it the Eastern? How, how the hell do we start to try to determine what age are we in? Well, so there's always going to be both sides doing whatever they want in the era that they exist in. I'm old school, though. I like always going back to the traditional. And so the traditional way is the way the Chaldeans did it. And uh, no offense to Europeans. I'm European. But we don't have the skies to excel in astrology the way they did. They have the arid regions. That's, I mean, if you look at the pyramids, they were observatories, the priests of Anu. These people had thousands and thousands of years of collecting this data and they determined it by going out an hour before dawn and looking at which sign was on the ascendant and so if you do that today it's clearly aquarius that's where i'm at that's what i'm accepting and by the way chaldean is a fascinating fascinating culture and by the way all these people being taught by the news to hate on arabs we don't get alchemy without the arabs the arabs handed it into spain we'd have never seen it otherwise there were universities built on what the Arabs handed them. Now, the Chaldeans are Christian in that part of the world with an ancient lineage, which makes them all the more interesting. And as I said, I dated a Chaldean girl and was fascinated by her sisters and her mother and how the whole thing worked. And you'll realize in this country, many of the Chaldeans came into this country through Detroit. Um, but to get to the point, uh, Dylan, I think we should put out feelers and ask for Arab speaking people or Chaldeans who could help us further these ideas. What do you think? That's, I mean, that's where it's got to go. That's why I wrote my books is to basically, it's not this, the, we've taken this about as far as we can take it with our language and cultural restrictions. Like our minds think differently than the people who created these languages back then. And so where you're going to find the, the actual information we need is going to be an old text. And that was kind of like one of the things that I was saying is the problem with this is like the text that we need when all this stuff was synced back up into the current uh, tropical system. If like you were to reverse the 24 degree separation of, 
uh, procession and go back to when it was everything was synced up, you're going to a time that corresponds when the libraries of Alexandria were burned for the second time, right? Um, you're corresponding to uh, Christianity in the Vatican, basically taking the culture from Egypt and then restarting a new empire in Europe. And the problem with all that is that these texts that were burned, or if maybe they're not burned, maybe they are, you know, taken beneath the Vatican, like some people claim, I can't produce any evidence in that. So that's not something I can address. But these texts are all going to be in Arabic, Egyptian, maybe the Coptic, Ethiopian, because that's where, you know, the Egyptians come from. And Ethiopian, Ethiopia is just a religious name for India. Still claiming to hold the Ark of the Covenant, by the way, Ethiopia. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Which you and I know a little more about wh mm -hmm. whether there's a physical arc or whether it means other things. But you mentioned a solar eclipse late BC. And at that time, you know, what are the games and towns that we know of in the West? Probably Ptolemy and Manilius, right? Yeah. Openly in the research that I have done, when they claimed the Vatican all of a sudden realized the sky clock was important, you know where they went? <laughs> well, they went to Ptolemy. It's openly stated. Um, that that's where they, they got their way. And by the way, just to throw it in there, a lot of modern astrologers want to bag on Ptolemy and show the mistakes of Manilius. And I got to ask, really, were those people dumber than we are now? Because they sure as hell lived a lot closer to the land and sure as hell spent a lot more time looking up. Um, I'm just saying. But anyhow, go ahead, Dylan. It almost seems like everybody they say was bad or evil or anything was actually the exact opposite. That's that's literally where I'm at at this point because me too. I mean, they want they would rather you think that the pyramids were like like generators and spaceship craft landing guides or whatever, <laughs> and it's just like no, they were nope. just observatories. <laughs> this knowledge didn't come from. Uh, they didn't just pull all this observation out of a hat, you know. Now, the alien greys gave it to us in between rectal probes, don't you know? Yeah, right. So, yeah, Dr. Right. Fauci reincarnated. Yeah, talk about the fallen intellect. All right, what can we add into the age of Taurus before we keep the train on the track? I think that's all I have, and just the, the fact that it really does coincide, like, loosely, that the end of the age of Taurus is where, you know, and, like, that was the agricultural, like, the entire age of Taurus was, like, the agricultural boom of Egypt. But it almost seems like they effed that region up because of the way they farmed. And it, it's almost like they, uh, that was, used to be a very lush area, and they ruined it through agriculture. And at the end of that, mankind is learning how to build hotter fires, which allows them to make melt. Uh, metals, different types of metals. And that's where the Bronze Age begins. And it's almost like the age of Taurus correspond to what we would call the Egyptian era. And then this age of Aries that's coming behind, it corresponds to the, the Greek era, which in my opinion is, is literally the same culture, just leaving Egypt and making its way through Mesopotamia and Europe. Yeah, how many times have you seen the old, most of the, of the art you see from Egypt is a put up, by the way. But how many times have you seen the horns of the bull with the sun in between it? And, you know, it's like the, the horns are mimicking the Horus horizon. And you see that whole thing. But there was a thing. I, oh, yeah. Before we leave Taurus, let's go ahead. And so many people have gotten interested in the cell salts, which I think is fantastic. I love that. And if this is one of the few things I was able to contribute to some lives, then I'm a happy man. Let's describe on the human body how the idea of Taurus is corresponded. And people should know, the zodiacal signs are not arbitrary. The reason a bull was taken is because there is something about the cor correlation of bullishness that could be related to how it's influencing a human being or how it influences an age. So if I'm not mistaken, and I hope I'm not mistaken because I'm about to be mistaken on air if I am, this would be the lower mind, Taurus? Yeah, the cerebellum which is Sarah, seed, and bellum, war, seed of war, the animal mind. And that describes something of the age and why the idea of the bull is, is there. And this opens up philosophical questions that have gone on since the beginning of time that matter. What precedes what? Does the bull precede bullishness or did bullishness precede the bull? You see, and this is where you're going to end up when you begin to take all these things apart 
And these are the things that we look at in the modern age. That's just silly. Why would anyone even care? Well, this place works in the way it works. And when you start to answer questions like that, it gives you a way to think, which is primarily what speaking English and growing up in the West has taught you not to do. So we're about to go into the age of Aries, which is ironic because we're in the lower mind, the cerebellum. Remember the Greek god Ceres? Seed. What did Dylan just tell you? Seed. We're going into Aries. Now we're going up to the crown of the head. And this has everything to do with so many of the stories of Jesus because it is the crown, the peak, the apex of a human being, the, the top of the head. So take us in, Bill, into the age of Aries, the ram, the lamb. Yeah, really quick, though, because you just made me think of something with all that gravy you just gave us. Even the beginning of like the written alphabet used to be the bull's head, you know, so like the, even like the cursive, like uh, yeah. A or whatever, the lowercase A, that's the bull's head. And uh, the Aleph, Aluf, that bull is so important because that ox is what helps you plow your field. That's what gave them the agricultural boom that they need, that they had. And so it, that's why like the Indians, it's a sacred animal to them. They don't kill cows over there. And so that's just another thing to chime in about. Let me just add in, think, think about thinking that way. When someone in this, what Dylan just told you, a lot of people roll their eyes. There's cows roaming the streets, but think of the thought process that gets you there. Nature provides everything we needed. We needed to farm and lo and behold, what was there? An ox, a bull, things to help us on our way. We needed hotter fire to make other metals. Lo and behold, what was there? Who's man's best friend? It's a dog. Have you ever thought about the relationship of a dog and a man and how critically important that relationship has been? And so I think we need to keep these in mind, but go ahead. You were jumping into Aries. Perfect. So Aries, this is again, this is all status quo. Like anybody can do this. It's not like I have a secret access to anything. But the age of Aries allegedly is approximately from like 2900 BC to 740 BC. The reason I don't agree with that is if the Bronze Age starts at the beginning of that, that would go from like the end of Taurus, which is around 3300 BC. So I think if there is an influence that the stars have on the ages, you can figure it out using all the historical information. What's the length of an age, Dylan? It should be, what is it, 2160? Yeah, approximately 2160 years, but that's if you divide everything up evenly. So the fact is they've never even made the distinction. Well, some signs are bigger than others. Shouldn't some ages last longer than others? Let's talk about this. Now, here comes the crux of one of my major problems that got me questioning the Zodiac. Does anyone know of a clock in this world where the divisions are not equal? How can you have a clock if the divisions are, how, how can you have one hour be 60 minutes and the next hour be 120 minutes or something. It doesn't work. And so here's the problem. We, we just stated that what is accepted, as far as I know, as an age is 2,160 years. Now, we know from the Zodiac that there's supposed to be 30 degrees apiece. We know that each decan or 10 degrees is important because the first 10, you're leaving the ideas of the last place you were just were and picking up the ideas for the place you're going to, that center decan means you're firmly in Scorpio ideas or Sagittarius ideas. And then the same thing happens as you get to the last decan. You're leaving Sagittarius ideas going in to the, the seagoat ideas. So if we take the idea that an age is 2,160 years, each decan should be 720 years. So I'm trying to outline the problem that we have. Now we can go to Virgo. That's a honking big sign. Do you even know how many degrees across Virgo is, Dylan? No, I'm not like an actual uh, astronomer. I, I know astro astrology because of I, I had to learn it to learn what's going on, and that's where everything goes to. But I don't. I've lived in cities my whole life. I can. I know my way around the stars a little bit. You know, like I, I know it. I just I've ne I've never used the actual tools to measure out like the degrees of everything. I don't have access to that. Right. So just go look at the portion of the sky that I contend was added as the most important change to the Zodiac that we have to deal with in this age. And it is all about sex, ladles and jelly spoons, all about finding the balance and using sex correctly and treating each other correctly. It's all about sex. Virgo the Virgin, pretty honking big sign. 
followed by this little tiny thing. Looks like somebody took a shoehorn and jammed the scales of Libra in there. Meanwhile, the scales of Libra co-opted the two stars named after the clause of Scorpio, the following sign. Zubinel Shanubian Zubinel Shamali, the northern and the southern claw of the scorpion, the primary stars of the scales uh, of Libra. So this is a major problem, and I don't know how to deal with it. I've gone at it and gone at it, so maybe you can pick it up there. Why the hell aren't each sign 30 degrees? An hour should always be an hour. One hour is not double the size of the last hour on a clock. Well, I think the, the, the purpose of the constellations is to give people reference points. And it doesn't actually correspond to the perfection of a circle that, they, that we want it to conform to. Even though it can be used as a clock, a calendar, and a compass, it's not exactly precise in terms of the way we want to use it. But that doesn't mean you can't use it as a clock and a calendar. It's just it's just not going to fit into the way that we're kind of wired to think in the modern era. But it's interesting that you brought that up because like you said, that Libra during the Greek empire was called the claws of the scorpion and it wasn't changed to scales till that. And so, which is interesting because we're going into the age of Aries, which in my opinion, you know, when we say Aries, we're saying Edies, the Latin word for Ram, but Aries comes from, uh, Eddies in Greek, which would be A-R-E-S, which is the Greek version of Mars, the god of war. Um, and that comes from an uh, Egyptian word for the sun, which is A-R-E-Z, if you transliterate it, Aries. So this corresponds, in my opinion, to the Bronze Age. And um, you also have in like Egypt, uh, Neith, which would be the goddess of war around 3000 BCE. She's the goddess of war, wisdom, hunting, and weaving. She also represented like the primeval water and the Nile River. That's when you also have like the goddess Ma'at coming through, which is she was alleged to be created around 2613 BC. And then Isis finally appears in the in text only in the fifth dynasty. And that would be circa 2465 BC. But the first depiction of her in like a statue or anything or painting doesn't occur until the 18th dynasty, which would be 1539 BC. And just so you know, now we're talking about Egyptian ideas with people like Dr. Ahi Mayas um, are the sources or the be all and end all of this completely lied about and shuffled around place we call Egypt that is endlessly encoded in the Bible. And spoiler alert, it's all about the lower regions of the human body or the regenerative portions of the human body. Go ahead, Dylan, carry on. And below the horizon. So Egypt, if you look at like what it comes from, it was chem. It literally means from uh, darkness, blackness. And so like when something, when this, uh, the Jews, the exodus, that exodus in Greek literally means a coming out of Egypt from below the horizon. It's exclusively astronomical terms, never to have been taken as a historical reference. So yeah, it's even weird. I don't even feel comfortable saying Egypt and talking about this stuff right. because it's like, it's, it's a put it's, on. We, we have to talk about it so the audience understands what regions we're talking right. about, but it's all fake. Like, it's so all it's, a stage show. And by the way, uh, coming out of Egypt, I mean, do you agree? I, I When I think about this, I think of the scorpion and the eagle. That's what I think about. And by the way, when you were defining ages and things, or if we look at the New Testament of the Bible, the scorpion is ne'er to be seen. I guess the scorpion's probably mentioned in uh, Revelation, the sting of the tail, Apollyon, that little passage of Revelation. Uh, but to go back to the Gospels, you're seeing the eagle. What's the eagle? The eagle is almost like the phoenix risen. In other words, the scorpion's base animal sexuality is one of the major meanings. Scorpion's a thing that'll sting itself to death. Um, when we have mastered sex, then the idea of the eagle, the lofty eagle, now you're not crawling on the ground, stinging yourself to death, misusing sex, your lofty eagle up in the air. That's how I think about it. What do you think? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it's part of just the idea of like the scorpion stinging itself. It kind of reminds me of all those like QAnus people pretending that they're stopping human trafficking on 4chan while they're jerking off to human trafficking porn every day. Right. You know, right. It's, it's, that's what I see it. And, you know, like 
like you said, the higher minded symbol is obviously uh, the white eagle, which in uh, uh, alchemy is salt, right? That's where we get salvation, salary. So it all corresponds to the salts of salvation and raising the higher energies out of by by tempering your lower nature. And even like the heart of the scorpion and literally Aries. means against Aries. Yeah. And Aries. So the, the salt being, yeah, the salt being the body. That's why you're the salt of the earth, right? A human being described as the salt of the earth, which would correspond to the body. But anyhow, sorry, I interrupted you. You were going for Antares, the star that represents the heart of the scorpion. Sagittarius, right? Sagio, the root of Sagittarius is I perceive with my intellect. And so his, his bow is aimed, his arrows at the heart of the scorpion. And that's you, the higher mind, the intellect. Uh, transcending the lower nature and it's about reining in your your base desires because i think that's what makes us such wonderful uh beings here is we are connected to the spiritual world and the higher intellect we're not the same as animals but we also have the physical material body that does have the base uh program of um self-preservation and all the stuff that animals have and so we have a, an ability to transcend that or at least temper it a little bit and it's that's why where all this symbolism comes into play and it's so beautiful when you're talking about like Adam Cadmont and the cosmic man. And so as we go from Taurus to Aries, like you said, Aries is now the cerebrum, which is the seed of Brahm, Rama, which comes from Rama in Sanskrit. So now you're looking at the most high, the seed of the most high. Yes. Eye of providence, the seat of reason, reason tempering the carnal nature. And so so we have like all these moon goddesses interestingly popping up, like how I said with like Ma'at. Well, Ma'at's like, I, I was looking at Isis when I said that, but then we also have Soma, which comes up in 1500 BC and Soma is the moon in India, in Rigveda. And then you have Sekhmet, which comes up circa, there's, well, there's statues from like 1400 BC, but some people are saying that she came into creation 2930 BC. And she's the lioness uh, or the lion warrior goddess of healing from Memphis and Leontopolis. And then the big one for me is this is where Semiramis uh, pops up. And she's alleged to be a historical queen, right, circa 9th and 8th century BC. But when you look at her in like depictions, Tammuz is depicted at the breast of Semiramis. And that's just like the Indian god Iswara is a baby at the breast of his wife Isa, who is also Par, uh, Parvati. Uh, just like Ninus, the son, marrying his own mother Rhea, mother Rhea, Ma Rhea, Maria, Mary, just like Jesus can marry. So this is where that really starts, in my opinion, uh, and, and gives way. You see that in like the all these cultures, this goddess, this mother goddess and her son slash husband, you know, like he's like a product of her, yet he's also like like in a way like like the god that seeded her somehow. And so I thought that was really interesting. Well, what what struck me as you were going through that, um, you know, people might ask, well, what's that got to do with my modern life? Well, here's an example. How many people have read Brave New World? What's the drug they're feeding all the people to completely put them in that dystopian state that they're happy to be in? It's Soma. Well, this has to be one of the earliest usages of that name, Soma, which is akin to the moon, which is akin to, to recycling you, your birth, your death, um, feminine ideas, water ideas, which he was getting into when he started to break out the word Mary, Mar. What's a sea on the moon called? A Mar. What do you call every ship in Japan? It's not the SS something. It's Maru, Mar. This goes across all civilizations in one way or another. But you were going to say something. No, you just, you just made me think of something else because I didn't even think about the Brave New World. That's 100% correct. And that moon archetype. And then you also have what we call Circe, right? right? right. So Circe is the moon and if you were to say that in like Latin, it'd be Cherche, right? Which is where church comes from. That's why like in uh, German or Danish, these those Germanic languages, church is Kirka, K-I-R-K-E. And that's where church comes from, Captain Kirk. And Circe, 
What does she do? She turns men into swine using pharmakeia, which is sorcery through drugs. Scapegoat is tied up in that as well, right? Yeah. Pharmacopos, or where we get our pharmaceutical ideas, uh, the base idea of that is the scapegoat. So it could be said that anyone using pharmaceuticals is being scapegoated. And what happens to a scapegoat? All the blame goes on to a scapegoat, and he usually gets his throat cut. And it's really intense when you start thinking about these ideas, but you can't ignore these ideas because that's what the people who run this paradigm, they're into this stuff. They're in, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. If they believe it and they act on it, then that's going to affect us. You know, Let's do a better job if we can. Let's say that there are demonstrable ways that this place works. Let's say that in the same way human beings invent a sky clock when there's already one there and invent divisions... Um, maybe the sky clock works the way it works, but nonetheless, it's the clock for this place. But we overlay our ideas on that to try to make it manageable. So the people running this world have personified and coded, done all these things because there is nothing new under the sun. This place works, in fact, the way it works. And what we've been led to believe is that magical things like science determine how tomorrow's going to be. Uh-uh. Nope. Science is never going to change a single thing about the way nature works. It might make it hard for nature or damage nature here and there. But my point is, if you don't understand why the so-called rulers are doing this, is because they understand the true history of the world. And within the true history of the world, which we're guessing at, as every time Dylan says, from this alleged date to that alleged date, they're not saying alleged because they had the records or the knowledge was passed on to them. And so they're just running the modern world according to these ideas that we were never told a damn thing about or understood at any level that mattered. How's that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great way to put it. And it can be overwhelming, but at the end of the day, you just look at it and say, okay, this world works a certain way. I can either accept what other people tell me, or I can go out and explore it for myself. And there's nothing in this world that's going to stop you from exploring this world and getting to know her, uh, getting to know nature for yourself. If you want to put the work in and do that, you can do that. And you don't, all this stuff that that's man-made conceptual schemes to help people recall stuff. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's how nature works. They just come up with this information so that they can keep track of it easier because when all this stuff was figured out, they didn't have the recording instruments that we have today. So you can't just like pop into your iPhone and say, Oh, this means this, and I got to put this in my notes. When this, when I see this flower, it means this time of year is here. Whatever you know, you have to create a story so you can remember that flower easier. What does that flower look like? Is it a rose? Is it you know? So I guess I'd take that a step further and say, uh, beyond what you just laid down, they're also leveraging off the possibilities they know to be potentially valid at that time. Uh, And that is the big advantage because you will never see the world leaders go out to do a big thing in a time where the potentiality for failure is at any level that matters. They will always save up for when the potential that they succeed at the highest level is there. And how do they know that? Because they have a better grasp of nature and the sky clock. And we've all been discluded from this knowledge. Um, So when you see a Fortune 500 set up at the spring equinox with all that release of energy. You can begin to piece together like a baby wearing diapers that I am. Um, what's gone on there? Oh, they're leveraging off this big energy release, but what else is there that I can't possibly figure out on my own? Probably quite a bit. Um, so when you see these big moves in the news and other things, you could bet your bottom dollar that they are leveraging on a potentiality that can be leveraged on, determined by nature or how the world works. So uh, do we want to go any further with Aries, the Martian ideas, or do we want to get into the fish? Yeah, we can, we can, get, we can get through it. Oh, no, yeah, I'm done with Aries. We can go straight into Pisces. And uh, I also just want to say, add something to what you just said. Speaking of which, it's one of those times of year right now. And to all our Celtic listeners, uh, happy Balthana. And uh, it's, this is a time of year where, unfortunately, the dark occult really gets into, it's like the culmination of the season of sacrifice. So at the time we're recording this, it's literally like one day into it. You're referring to Beltane? Yeah. And that's going to culminate with May Day. 
Right. Or Valpurgis not. Mayday, mayday, my plane is going to crash. <laughs> Get it? Yeah, it's it's not a it's not coincidence that it's a communist high holy day as well as a satanic high holy day, but it's also it's just a good time of year, no matter what. So don't ever let them take that from us because they're all trash and they can be defeated very easily if we just stop playing ball with them. There it is. There it is. And by the way, it is a the most beautiful for me, one of the most beautiful times of year. All the flowers are blooming, all the new baby animals are coming. I see them every day. I go out to see them. The birds are chirping, the days are warm, the sun is high in the sky in the southern arc. What you just said is very critically important. There's two sides to every coin. Which one do you want to look at? You want to look at the dark side or the light side? I know where I'm going. Now, with all of these, is there a relevance to it being a northern latitude thing as opposed to being a southern latitude thing? That's a weird thing, too, but almost everything is based on northern ideas, right? Yeah. When all this stuff was developed, it's developed in northern people who live closer to like the Tropic of Cancer. But like if you were to just, it just reverses. So like right now, even though it's, if it's the same time, the cycle for people in like Australia, places like that, they would just be going to Samhain, which is like Halloween. So the, the significance about May Day, uh, Valpurgis Nacht, uh, Bautina, it's the halfway point between the beginning of spring and summer. So we are approaching the halfway point. And so for them, it's the halfway point between autumn and winter. So it's, it's almost going to be winter for them. And, and that bring, brings up another idea that we should jam in here while we're in this time of the year talking. There's a little thing called Easter, right? People who know language has meaning should immediately recognize that the word East is right there. And that is, in fact, where the Yellow Brick Road starts. Um, let's talk a minute about Easter, Dylan. As a matter of fact, let's close out this hour with ideas about Easter. Perfect, because most when they talk about Easter, they're gonna like the status quo is generally gonna mention Ostara, right? Regarding the origins, but that's like everybody knows that. The word Easter, like you just said, is the amalgamation of the word East and then the Greek word for star, which is aster. And so it's literal green language for East Star. And it's no secret that it corresponds to Ishtar, who in addition is Isis, Venus, all the sacred feminine archetypes. Virgo, you name it. And that Eastern star, like you said, when it comes over the horizon in uh, Virgo, it's actually the one that comes over first is Vindamiatrix, which is the uh, the grape harvestist. Oh yeah, that's right. With speakers on the left elbow, I believe. All of this symbolism is encoded in the Freemasonry like female counterpart, which is the order of the Eastern star. And it's not coincidence, that's an inverted pentagram. The celebration of Easter is chosen on the first Sunday following the full moon that occurs on or after the vernal equinox. But that connects it to the sacred feminine because Isis is the moon. And this time is all about the fertility of the earth. But that being said, the moon is not what actually determines Easter. It's the fact that the sun is passing over the vernal equinox, the equator, and its journey back to the Tropic of Cancer, which uh, that, that is also called Passover because the sun is passing over. And so now daylight is finally overcoming nighttime in terms of its duration. But even that word Passover comes from the Latin word Paschalis, which means of Easter, of Passover. So this is why it's associated with the resurrection, because the sun has finally risen from the solstice of winter to put an end to that season and overcome its death. And now Easter is significant because 50 days after Easter is what is called Whitsun or White Sunday or the Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. And the reason this holiday is significant is because that's when you harvest hay to feed your animals. And that's when you harvest the early fruits of Gemini. And so in Southern Europe, this is where the Holy Ghost comes from. People don't usually think about this, but this is when the Holy Ghost arrives, which are the winds from the African desert. And that's called the Sirocos. And if people want to look that up, it's S-I-R-O-C-C-O-S. Car named after it too. That's where they get the Scirocco. Go ahead. <laughs> so these winds are what Acts 2, 1 through 4 depict. And when the day of Pentecost was finally come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
And so there, that's what this time of year is. It's this beautiful spring energy, like you said, and this is the Holy Ghost arriving. Within, and wait for it, the acceptable year of the Lord. Exactly. You can draw these things back. So wait a minute, Dylan, you're telling me Easter is like motherly ideas. How can that be? Oh, does it have something to do with the entire world being mothered back into existence? All yeah. the new births, all the new greenery, everything rebirthing? You can see why these things were important prior to the supermarket. The most important. How are you going to eat? You're not going to 7-Eleven or you know, Ralph's to get your grub. You're just not. You've got to have a plan. And by the way, when we get almost 180 degrees in the air from where we currently exist right now, tough times are coming. And if you have not harvested, planted, done all the things you need to do, you could lose your life. You could literally starve to death when you get down into winter, the allegory for hell. But what else would you add about Easter? Anything? Oh, not to leave out the sacred masculine, you know, because it is a very feminine fertility thing. But the symbolism of Easter goes back to Egypt uh, because that's where the tradition that celebrates it comes from. As, as your previous guests, uh, I just listened to him the other day. That gentleman said, you know, the, the Coptics were the first Christians. Well, if that's the claim, the Coptic exclusively comes from the vulgar tongue of Egypt. And so in the sacred language, which is not what the Coptic is derived from, uh, the sacred language is what would like the the Hebrew and the Ethiopian and stuff is derived from. That's what you see on the monuments. The hare or the rabbit is a symbol of Osiris. And like the sun, rabbits spring from location to location, rising and setting on their path. And this is why the hare also as the Easter bunny is associated with that holiday. And if you take into account like how fast uh, rabbits reproduced, then it's easy to see why they're also associated with fertility. Now, an interesting thing uh, that someone can do if they look up like the Egyptian hair, uh, now we have the technology like the, the slow motion video cameras to see this stuff. It's incredible. But their eyes have almost like a magical, like, like uh, amber glow about them. And they're always wide open. Like even when they're like running around do, doing all these crazy things, they don't really blink fully. I'm, I mean, I guess you can catch it with some slow motion, but when you're looking at it with your naked eye, in real time, it looks like their eyes are always open. And so that's why the hair in the symbolic language also represented as a noun, an opening, or as a verb, to open. And so hopefully now people can see the sun symbolism connected to the animal and that we appreciate the word hair that is referencing the rabbit also comes from a much older language. Hare, Hare Krishna. Spell hair, Hare, H-A-R-E. It's the same word. And this is also where the English name Harry comes from. Well, there's the whole connection to what we have been denied. Uh, what came first, rabbitness or rabbits? Well, whether or not you can answer that question yet, where did it come from? Well, nature provided that. And the idea is, is that the world has to have rabbitness in it or bullishness in it, you see. And there are going to be aspects of the way we are forced to live that are well represented by the idea of bullishness. But to get back to the Coptic idea, if I'm not mistaken, Dylan, and I hope, again, I'm not mistaken on the air, uh, the first of the year for the Coptic calendar is 9-11, is it not? I'm not the guy for that. I don't know off the top of my head. I think it may be. But as we get ready to close out hour one, let's just go take a little look at how a special place called the Vatican decided to set Easter and why the rippling effects in our world have been immense beyond measure. Because the Vatican decided what it wanted to do was jam Easter into one day, and that's not possible if you want to observe nature. A man in New York does not see sunrise when a man in California does. The vernal equinox does not happen in California as it does in New York, not the same time. Geography, as a matter of fact, Jason's further south than I am in Rhode Island, so he experienced the vernal equinox a day earlier than I did. But what the old church wanted to do was say, we control everything. This day will be Easter for everybody. And the Easter annals and the changing of the calendars, all this stuff is wrapped up in this one setting of this one all-important Christian day. So they got a problem. And it's kind of ironic because Dylan just described to you how little the moon has to do with any Easter idea. It's the Eastern star not the Eastern moon, but what the church did 
was said, well, we're the Catholic Church and everything we do is about the sun. We allegorize everything in the sun. The acceptable year of the Lord is marked by the sun. The people that we personify are, among other things, marking stations of the sun along the 12 stations of the acceptable year of the Lord. So how do we set Easter? This is what we're going to do, boys and girls, because I'm Pope, whoever in the hell. We're going to take the first full moon after the vernal equinox. And by the way, there's your problem. When is the vernal equinox? According to what we get now, they'll tell you it's three days after it's already occurred. And three days after, they've already jacked up the calendar an hour. But the Pope says first full moon after the vernal equinox. But since we are the church, we're going to pull it back to the nearest day of the sun or Sunday. You see how convoluted and divorced from the natural world we're beginning to get here. This is what they did. And along the way, they jacked up calendars. When Pope Gregory XIII threw out, I don't even remember. I always want to say 11, so I'll just say it. Um, I'd have to look. I think he throws out 11 days to set their calendar. Just says these 11 days didn't happen in the world or in history. And to me, that's probably a key, and that key probably relates to so many of the problems we have with the Zodiac. But Dylan, I'll give you one more shot before I wrap up hour one of 314. Would you like to add in? Oh, for one thing, you absolutely need to tell people where they can find you and your fantastic books. I've seen so many comments, people impressed with your books. Oh, thank you. Well, so where you can probably find me best, I'll give my contact info on the second hour because, well, not contact, but like where you can find me on social media because I've been on shadow band after they did that massive update. So I think there's going to be some more events coming up that they want news to spread faster. But um, where you can probably find me best right now is actually on Clubhouse. Uh, it's my name, D-Y-L-A-N-S-A-C-C-O-C-C-I-O and join the Crow Clubhouse room. If Clubhouse is an app, the room that we're in is Crow 777. And sometimes at night, we're all on there just hanging out, shooting the shit. And that's probably the best way where, you know, people can uh, interact with each other. And it's really fun. Rose leads the charge with all that. And uh, I think once we get enough people in that group, uh, maybe even uh, old Corvus himself will pop on, you know, to plug an episode before it comes on. Or it might be fun for like you, like after an episode comes out to hop on there with the guests that came on and take questions from the class. It's a really cool format. And then my books are Spirit World. Uh, it's W-H-I-R-L-E-D. Uh, book one is uh, an alchemical text. It's really designed to teach you uh, the language of the birds or green language. Amongst other things, it's hard to pin what these books are in one thing, but that's like the central focus of it. Book two is more of the meat. So book two will explain the system a lot better, a lot more of the really hidden information that has been occulted for so long. And then book three is kind of like a work of art where I do my own thing and show you how uh, I came to certain conclusions and it would go into like the hieroglyphics, color symbolism, you name it. Um, and ironically, I, I called it July's End with Black Swans because I'd given uh, my audience a date by July's End. I'm also born at the end of July, so that, that that's a significant uh, period of the year for me. And uh, there's all these black swans happening from the, the black swan in the flat earth world to the black swan of the uh, Wuhan wiggle throwing our lives all up. There's a lot of stuff that happened in 2020 when it was released and I released it on the solstice, the, the summer solstice. So that book is more like uh, has a lot more higher minded stuff. It's kind of inaccessible if you haven't gone through the first two books. But uh, we also just created the audiobooks. So book one is also available through um, Audible. I'll post a link when this goes live in the comments. And uh, we're working on book two right now. That's almost done. And so hopefully book three will be done by the end of June. And uh, I'm very grateful for your audience. And you've probably got the best audience around. And that's why it's my, you guys are like the last men standing from like the old days. Like, I don't know if people remember, but like your, your earlier videos on YouTube, Crow, were so lit. Like, Rose sent me this one, like where you did like Michael with John Travolta and like you did all this like green language symbolism and it was so good. My favorite one of that was when you did the twine and you dropped the E for the twins. Oh. And I was just like, oh, I never would have saw that. It was so epic. These, these videos have like 8,000 views. They're like, nobody's seen them. <laughs> so these are like, but this is like my favorite stuff. I remember like that's the stuff that used to do that. That's what made me subscribe to you because it was like, oh, it was so cool seeing all that stuff. So it's really fun when we can talk about this, this stuff. And when you do episodes like that, these are, those are my favorite. 
All right. So people got to get Dylan's at least the first couple books. I can't tell you the benefit. It will offer you a new way to think about things. And if you only speak one language, you pretty much were taught one way to think about things. And it is so freaking literal and gross material as to almost be unhelpful. So when you hear Pink Floyd screaming, hey, teacher, leave them kids alone. Now you know why. Because what they were doing wasn't the best we could have been doing. Books like Dylan wrote will help you think differently. Anyhow, Jasonius Six Stringius Maximus. Anything you want to get in before we wrap up? You are correct about September 11th. I love it when I don't blow it on the air. They can't help themselves. It's crazy. Well, it tells you, you know, now you're getting into the roots. So what that confirmed, and I thought I had remembered, I, I do so much that it's hard. I never get time to just zero in on a thing anymore, um, which in some ways is helpful because it forces you to be macro and you get a bigger picture. But for the minutia, that's where most people need to start. They need to see that thing where they go, wait a minute, you know, that one little thing that can be drawn out completely to, so that they can begin to think about these things. But it tells you certainly that there was a relation to what we've lived and the Coptic calendar. And what do we know about Coptics, Dylan? Are they worshiping Muhammad? Are they worshiping Apis? What are they worshiping? It's the idea of very early, probably Orthodox Christianity, right? And the acceptable year of the Lord. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, they don't like the only the only contention I have with the Coptics is they would be like the um the pro the, they would be the profane because that language doesn't come from the the priest class it comes from the lower class the agricultural class. Well, I guess me and you have something in common with them then, right? Yeah, yep. I'm blue collar. <laughs> I'm a nobody, so I, I I won't claim profane, but I will claim that class of human beings, the many, because uh, that's where I reside. Well, when I say profane, when, when the people who from the mystery school say the profane, they're using it from like the Latin etymology, which literally just comes from the words pro, which means outside or before, and then fanum, which is temple, so profanus. So it just means outside the temple. So there's always going to be things regardless of, you know, if you're not in a culture, you're profanus, you're profane. If you're not in a skilled trade, I'm not an electrician. To the electricians, I would be profane, you know, to the plumbers, I would be profane. Well, I I would say that's correct. Uh, On the face of it, it's correct. But we all know what profane means in the modern vernacular. Um, So understanding how that word is to be taken is being ignored. Um, And I don't think you can ignore it. Words have meanings. And that word has come to mean uh, a diminutive idea, a lesser than idea. But I got to wrap up here, guys. I know we're at the top of the hour. So there's the first hour of 314 with Jason Lindgren and Dylan Sicoccio. Join us in hour two. Do I even need to tell you? Um, We haven't gone through the age of Pisces. We haven't even touched on Aquarius, which is where I suspect we currently reside. There is so much that we have to catch up on in this age of diapers we're trying to leave behind. It's not our fault. You know, our parents should have took our diapers off when we were done being babies. But unfortunately, we grew up in in a time in the world where they want you to wear your diapers all the way to the grave, which I'm not content to do. Anyhow, join us at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com for hour two. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. There it is. Cheers.
is the enemy of knowing.